This is Jordan Johnson, and you're listening to the Three Night Bender. What's up, what's up? Welcome back to Three Night Bender. This is Boozos, who is starting the show off for the second week in a row, which is a little uncomfortable for me because I'm still not used to this. Our uh, main man, Todd, actually is about to get married in three days, so he's been on a little bit of a hiatus as he tries to get his life together and prepare for a wonderful life with our friend, Sevi, that both me and our co-host for today's show has known for a very long time. We got Steven Diagostino back for a second week in a row. What's going on, Steve? How dare Todd, the audacity to get married during uh, a college football season and as the host of Three Night Bender. I mean, I just think it's appalling. I, I can't believe you would ever, ever even dream of that. And, and shame on Sevi too. You know what? Shame on both of them. There, shame on both of them. There's a time and place for things there like is. weddings. And everyone knows the unspoken man rule that you do not get married during football season. I didn't want to bring this yeah. up. I wasn't going to say anything. I was going to be the bigger man, but... Thank you for saying that. That makes me feel better. No, I'm not above that at all. I'm not. I'm, I'm not above shaming the holy act of matrimony in the face of UCF football. That's not me, you, as you know. So that and that's so why shame, shame, shame. And that's why you're one of the generals of the UCF Twitter mafia. We <laughs> salute you, kind sir. <laughs> so I'm um, sorry, my future wife. I I apologize. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure Christy's going to listen to this and be like, uh, crap." So, yeah, she'll stop. Yeah, she'll stop immediately after that. I'm sure. So I know getting. I'm kidding. So I know getting you on the phone. You already had a cracked beer open. What are you drinking today? Oh man. Uh, well, as you know, it was the first day of fall, and now that I'm up in New York, that means a real a real fall. So it was it's pumpkin season. So I got a shipyard smashed pumpkin brewing beer, which. To be honest, is not good at all. But I'm going to finish it because um, it's the first day of fall, or it was. What what day is it? Is it the third day of fall? I don't know. I have to get research on that. Well, today it was like 85 degrees down here, so it is not the first day of fall for us. It's still summer, unfortunately, and it's probably going to be like that for a while. So that's the way it is. I'm going to be cracking open this Ravenous Pig Brewing Company Lone Palm Golden Ale. I've never had it before. Still have yet to go and actually eat dinner at Ravenous Pig. I know it's kind of a cardinal sin as a person that lives five minutes away from it, but cheers. Oh, man. I miss I miss Ravenous Pig. Cheers. Cheers with my crappy pumpkin beer. Mm. You know, that's my, I get my quota. Ooh. You got to have one pumpkin beer a year, you know, and this is it. I'm good, for, I'm good until fall 2021 if the world makes it to fall 2021. Oh, it's not. So that's, that's good news. It's not. Jeepers Creepers Creatures coming in. It's been 23 years. He's on his way over here. This oh this was actually delicious. This this is a good beer. I'm enjoying this. This is awesome. Mm. All right, so let's jump into it. Um, the show is going to be kind of, you know, a little bit of a reaction to what we just witnessed less than a week ago. Uh, UCF with a big win over Georgia Tech at Georgia Tech. 40, it's a 49 to 21 big uh, win for uh, over a power five opponent for UCF. Just some basic stuff. I mean, you got Dylan Gabriel 27 of 41 for 413 yards, four touchdowns. He did throw an interception. Uh, Otis Anderson went 18 for 88 for a touchdown. Greg McRae nine for 50 for a touchdown. Bentavious Thompson 
a touchdown. So all three major running backs on this squad scored touchdowns, which was pretty freaking awesome. Receiving core looked amazing. Mario Williams, the big stat day with 10 catches for 154 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, we had a major homecoming, uh, I mean, uh, introduction to Jalen Robinson, transfer from Oklahoma. He had a big game, and same with Trey Nixon. Defense had an awesome outing, five turnovers, two picks, three fumble recoveries, no sacks, but they did get pressure on uh, the quarterback Sims and six tackles for a loss. So huge win for UCF. Uh, you know, just what your we're going to get into our takeaways here in a second, our, our three major reactions to the game. But, you know, when you were watching the game, what was your biggest opinion on what you were watching, Stephen? Oh, yeah, play play it again, Buzas. Just hearing hearing all of those stats, it's like your favorite vinyl record. You just keep hitting the needle back, you know, like that. Like you say, saying all that is like my slow jam. Like it's the soundtrack to my fall 2021, 2020. <laughs> and so, I mean, it's great. I mean, what a what a performance. Um, my three three big takes. I mean, Dylan Gabriel, phenomenal game. Um, you know, we know how well how capable of a passer he is that was on full display um you know the deep ball looked good a lot of those touchdowns in the red zone were just pinpoint he had a couple to marlon williams that i mean you, you just look at where those where those balls are at and i mean they're those are nfl caliber passes but the one thing with dg that really stuck out to me was his ability to rush the ball especially under pressure i mean there was a lot of times last year where DG looked like a freshman in that area, um, whether he was afraid to run. I mean, there was a lot of bickering back and forth, whether it was the play calling, whether, you know, Hypo was holding him, preventing him from running, you know, whether whether DG was afraid, whatever the case. DG had a problem with rushing, and we were spoiled with KZ's legs last year or, or previous years. DG looked good. I mean, he had eight rushes for 30 yards, which... You know, thir- I mean, 30 yards doesn't seem like much, but I mean, all of those rushes, you know, he's tucking it and he's, he's getting yards. And that was such a huge, I think, you know, tally mark for DG and a level to where his maturity and confidence is at. So to, t- um, to touch that on was his, my first big take. To touch on his rushing yards, his 30 rushing yards is already almost half of what he had all of last year. He rushed for 71 yards last season. I know. I mean, it just, it just, it, you have so much more confidence. I feel like in your quarterback when you know that he's not afraid to take the reins when he has to, and really, you know, push the envelope and push the offense when when no one's open. Um, it it really exposes the defenses as if defenses needed anything else to worry about with this offense. I mean, you rifled off all of the numbers. I mean, this this offense is ridiculous. Um, and that's my my second take. My second big take is. The, just the depth of our skills positions players that we have. I mean, um, you mentioned the three-headed monster in the backfield with Otis, Greg, and Ventavius. I mean, those numbers are just phenomenal, but they're evenly distributed. I mean, and the averages for these guys, you know, Otis averaged 4.9, Greg averaged 5.6, Ben averaged 2.5. I mean, these guys are averaging, you know, you know, I'll take that all day. And it's three different guys. And not only that, but Johnny Richardson, who only had two carries for 24 yards, but, you know, we've we've heard a lot about Johnny in the offseason and he looks poised to be, you know, like another AK style explosive player. I mean, um, we talked about how big of a, of a factor Trey Nixon is. You know, Trey goes out with injury and we still don't really know his status. But goodness, Jalen Robinson looks like, you know, a, like a prime time, you know, wide receiver one target. I mean, he didn't find the end zone, but I mean, he's got, you know, a his longest reception is of 48 yards. I mean, the guy was catching everything. So um, mm-hmm. 
the depth of our skills players is just unbelievable. I mean, it's just a, it's just we're. I mean, we're spoiled truly right now. Agreed, a hundred percent. That the skills position is obviously the biggest strength on our offense. I mean, we have a great quarterback, but oh my god, it just, just going up. You, you look up and down. If anybody goes down, there's an immediate step up. There's no and there's no drop off. That's the other thing. Is usually when you have to go to your backup running back, you're looking at maybe your number two or three receiver. You expect there to be some type of talent drop off. On most programs, and in this program, it's just next man up. No, I mean it's 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 just locked and loaded. I mean, um, if there was any question, you know, with losing Gabe Davis, you know, with with losing AK, what the offense was going to was going to look like, if there was any concern whatsoever, I mean, that's that's gone. I mean, that how could you not? And and again, we Trey is phenomenal. I mean, you know, ninety four yards in two touchdowns. I mean, the guy looked looked, you know like a, like an NFL talent before he went out and, and, and goodness, I hope he's okay. Like, again, I, it didn't look great. Um, but even so we're so deep that, you know, it's, it's hard to even be remotely concerned with that area of our program. Um, the third and final big take I have is just the resilience of this football team. Um, you know, we, I was at the pit game last year. We all saw it. There was, there were certain areas that look like, you know, the George, like, you know, it, it could have been the pick game all over again this year. Um, it started off on the first, you know, the first two minutes of the game. Pitt has, or Georgia Tech has a huge kickoff return, um, and they, they get up on the scoreboard within the first couple minutes. And, you and you know, I think UCF fans are, you know, kind of palming their foreheads here. And what is what does UCF do? They come back, they get up 28-7. Um, and then, you know, another moment of adversity here. You know, we have, you know, Tech kind of, kind of sneak back in it you know they get up they get within one score early in the fourth quarter the offense looks like it's stalled out we can't stop georgia tech and, and you're just saying here we go again this is pit all over again like we did it we shot ourselves in the foot and um we're we're, we're not pulling out of this i was group blasting everyone in my text messages like this is it you know you know we're we're done put a fork in us and what is what is dg and the offense do they rifle off three unanswered scores and they and it ends up being a blowout so i mean if you want to talk about maturity i mean i think i think gabriel's got it i think the whole offense has it now i mean i i am full confidence in this team on the offensive side of the ball and i think we're gonna we're, we're gonna be putting up big points all year which is phenomenally exciting to think about oh my god when you think about just the amount of points that this team has put up over the last two seasons to know that we could possibly exceed that expectation is it's mind-blowing really so my big three takeaways i mean kind of touching a little bit on the skills marlon williams showed me so much this game we all knew he had talent we knew he was he's basically a running back with the skill set of a wide receiver he's thick he's strong I mean, his weight room numbers are off the charts if you kind of look what he does in the weight room. And he rattles off for 10 receptions for 154 yards and two scores, moving like the wind, smooth as butter in the end zone with some of the catches that he made. He's a great route runner. He's not scared to go over the middle. In my opinion, he looks like he can be the next big receiver at UCF. And UCF is known for having a long list of stud receivers, going back to Brandon Marshall, Mike Sims-Walker, you know, Brashad Perryman, Trey... It's just it just goes on and on. Traquan Smith, um, and then and obviously Gabe Davis, who went to the NFL last year. We have so much NFL talent in that skills position, and Marlon Williams, in my opinion, has the opportunity to be the next big one for UCF going into the draft. Oh my god! I mean, we talked about this last week with Marlon. You know, like it's just such an incredible sight to see 
you know, him, him snagging a pass in the midfield and then just going downhill like an open field running back. And you're like, goodness, like you don't see that very often out of a wide receiver. But not only that, but he has hands. Like we've, he scored in the red zone um, on, you know, some, on some slant passes that you're, you're just like, I mean, he's got hands. He's got, he's got the agility. Like he doesn't lose any of those factors just because he has, has the mass. And that's, what's phenomenal to see at him. So he's, he's a huge threat, huge threat. It's tons of fun to watch him play. Absolutely. So my next takeaway, the actual blocking of this offensive line, which, you know, we're going to have a lovely guest come with us at the end of this show that we'll talk to, who is a a bit of a, a big name for UCF when it comes to the offensive line. Um, and Jordan Johnson, who's going to be our guest uh, on the show today. But this offensive line blocked phenomenally. You watch some of the pa- the dropbacks that uh, Gabriel had, and he had all day. It could have been a 12-step drop. I don't think he would have had too much pressure on him. He, there was two sacks. One of them he kind of ran himself into trying to get out of the pocket when he shouldn't have and got ran down. But for the most part, he had all day. The holes were huge. That touchdown by Greg McRae looked like the freaking Red Sea was parting for Moses. He had so much daylight to get right into the end zone. So this offensive line really showed me something in, in kind of a, a stage where you, you didn't see Schneider coming starting. And that, that's something that baffled me. Looking at the death chart, Cole Schneider didn't start after we were talking about how he is, you know, an, uh, a arguably the third best guard in all of college football. He, he and, and when it comes to perspectives, he's on a lot of preseason award lists. So I was kind of s- surprised to not see him starting. Um, Parker Bordeaux, unfortunately, was on, co- on concussion protocol, so he didn't really play. Um, and obviously some shuffling around the offensive line, bringing in uh, Marcus Tatum, who is a transfer from Tennessee. You know, Matt Lee, who's coming in at center. Uh, you know, we looking at all these new faces and, and a lot of the shuffling around on this offensive line, I didn't really know what to expect, and I was blown away watching them actually perform. The one the one thing you always hear about that's like, you know, as, as a UCF, quote, G5 program, you know, the one, like, blue blood fallacy we hear is, you know, that these smaller mid-major programs don't have the size on the line to compete with the, with the quote, P5. And I, I love how, how we just proved that wrong within the last decade. You know, like, UCF's line, offensive line has been phenomenal for a long time. And I'm super excited for our, for our special guest later in the show and, and have him speak to that. He has firsthand experience with that. And, and I mean, you, you use the word shuffling. I mean, yeah, the fact that, Schneider doesn't start and that Bruno has, you know, in, in concussion protocol and we're still as, as efficient as we are on that line. Like, you know, I don't care what P5, G5, whatever, that line is a good line. And as they proved over the weekend, they can compete with anybody. I don't care what conference you're in. Absolutely. And I'm going to give huge props to the offensive line coach, Glenn Ellerby, who has been with us since, uh, um, Heupel came over here. He came with him from Missouri, and he's done a phenomenal job with this offensive line, uh, obviously. I mean, you can just see we've got talent, and as you mentioned, the size is what a lot of people don't realize. We have huge bodies on that offensive line. They average 300 pounds, which you don't see in too many group of five schools. I mean, just to give an example, the right tackle for ECU that we're going to face on Saturday weighs 257 pounds. For an offensive lineman, that's like being a malnourished Ethiopian child. That's insane. Like, that's a tiny offensive tackle. So knowing that we have offensive tackles that legitimately are an, a, a freaking sorority girl added onto that is mind-blowing. I've seen you eat I, I've seen you eat more at that weight at Ravenous, at, um, at, at, at Ravenous Pig on the weekends. 
back in Orlando. <laughs> or no, sorry, Four Rivers. You have not. You, you haven't been to Ravenous Pig yet. No, it's, I was it's, surprised, but I have been to Four Rivers, and I know you've. I know you've seen me eat Four Rivers. You've done damage at Four Rivers. I've done quite a Sorry bit. Sorry for getting off topic. What's your What's your third point? Uh, my third point: uh, the the depth of the defensive line. I mean, we talked about the talent that that line has with some of those kids, like you know Morris Brash. Um, that, that there was that freshman kid, number eighty-eight. I can't remember his name, and I'm kind of googling it right now. Um, but he had the interception on the def- on the pass deflection and ran it back for I, I, not too much before it got tripped up and fell. But the defense. Oh my, that was. I mean, that was a soul-crushing sequence there. I mean, you know, like Georgia Tech's whole offense revolves around the quarterback position, and when you just tip it at the line for for a defensive line pick, I mean, that's just a soul-sucking turnover. I mean, yeah, the D-line looked great. Oh, yeah, and the that's Joshua Seleskar as a freshman. I mean, good size. He's 6'4", and and he's he's local. He's from Winter Haven, so he's right around the corner from us. But he showed me a lot. This defensive line looks great. And we have 20 scholarship defensive line players, which is also insane. I mean, the one big thing Heupel wanted coming into this team, knowing that it's kind of like that New York Giants mindset from the 2000s that, you know, our old boy uh, Tom Coughlin had, where if you have the ability to put pressure on the quarterback, you can win anything. And they started developing that here at UCF. And I was blown away with how well the defensive line played. I mean, again, we didn't have any sacks, but constant pressure doing a very good job, you know, securing the middle for the, mo- for a pretty mobile quarterback. I think they contain Sims fairly well. I mean, as well as you can with any kind of scrambler. So I was very impressed with the D line and I'm really excited to see how they kind of gel moving forward into the season. No, I mean, definitely. They, we've seen, we've seen quarterbacks with, with a similar build and style as Sims just totally got us in the past. So for our defensive line, which a lot of people kind of noted as being, a suspect group for them to contain Sims as they did. And, and yeah, no sacks, but you know, our, our DBs are still deep enough where, I mean, if you're, if you're just making a quarterback throw pressured passes, your DBs are going to do the rest. So the, the defensive line, I think more than enough, they did their job. We're going to start our next segment. Uh, I believe you have someone that you can introduce for everybody. Super excited to, uh, to bring in uh, the three night bender sideline correspondent. A good friend of ours, Chris Salonia. Chris, how are you doing? We, this is this is very exciting. Your first correspondence duty for the podcast. Oh, I'm so excited! By the way, if you guys don't know me, I'm that Chris's King guy, formerly known as the Bagman on Twitter. Wow. But uh, wow. yes, I'm doing well. No, I'm I'm still the Bagman, or I'm trying to become a Bagman, just in the most legal you know way possible. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm doing great, man. The game was so much fun. But the whole quarantining stinks. That I mean, that's that's like the main crux of why we had you on, and we'll and we will get to that in due time. But the first thing we have to ask, and this is a three night bender tradition, you have to be drinking alcohol to be on this show for the most part. So we have beer going on. Are you drinking anything right now in quarantine? Yes. So since I am in a 25 foot box in Brooklyn Heights in the wonderful apartment of my girlfriend, who is a Notre Dame grad because she oh, no. can't afford to live here. Uh, yeah, it took her a while to get around the UCF party, but I have been drinking Jack Daniels since about 445. I think that's a quarantine specialty. <laughs> so I'm so happy. Awesome. I just want to also oh, say, I just want to put out there that I think you hold a three night bender record of like, 15 seconds before dropping a Twitter or Instagram handle. So kudos on that award. Listen, man, 
listen, no, listen, it's not going to be Chris Salonia field at Chris's King stadium. <laughs> if he's not dropping the handle, I okay. mean, he has to get the clout. That, that's very yeah, true. I need to get, I, I need to get as many likes as possible so I could grow my micro influencer like personality. And, <laughs> and then once there, I can build out a brand and then that brand will become, you know, the stadium name. So we'll see. We'll see. Okay. Oh, unless the other monster right. decides to go into it. <laughs> um, well, so we like like I said, we have you on for a couple different reasons. First, we we want you to give us your reactions from the Georgia Tech game. You were there. You flew in exclusively for that reason. Um, so you know, being there in person, not many of us were were there. What were your reactions to the game? And, and just give us your give us your takes. So of course. So I think Georgia Tech. You know, just going to the game was just such a freaking privilege after, you know, all these game cancellations and how, like, we're one of the only teams that got to go to a Power 5, like, away game. So just from that, you know, because I think it was Friday where a couple of games got canceled and then we were really like, oh, man, like me and and a couple of the Dungeoners that were staying in the big blue house, like, we were worried that they would just cancel it the day of. But honestly, everyone, and this is one thing that I'm going to take to my grave, everyone looked like George O'Leary when you're walking around the stadium. <laughs> Everybody is like white-haired, super nice, super chill. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, so George was- O'Leary was not super nice or super chill in any capacity. <laughs> hey, 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 they honored him in halftime, and it was the sweetest little moment because he had his, like, two grandkids. One of them wore, like, a Georgia Tech shirt. One of them wore a UCF shirt. And we both... We both like went crazy for him, and it was it was nice. But for the game itself, you know, like it, I think someone had tweeted it out when we were having that like really bad second and third quarter. It was just like, oh, this is the pit vibes. And I'm like, well, I was in Barcelona when that pit game was happening at like 3 a.m. watching my team lose when I have like a full schedule the next day, similar to what happened in Atlanta. So I. I don't know. I mean, like, it was nice to see so many people, like, actually going to the game. It was, like, maybe, what, 15,000? It felt really nice, cozy. You saw the Knights fans. But, man, after that third quarter debacle, I was just like, look, we're going to – I don't know what's going to happen. But then all of a sudden, Marlon Williams just, like, turned on the Jets. But it was super fun, man. It it was such a fun game to just go out. And then, you know, obviously I'm back in New York. But super great. A couple, yeah, a couple quick things. We literally just talked about this on the podcast about the resilience of the team and kind of like the oh crap moment of this is pit all over again once they pulled within one score in the fourth. So it's it's good to see that I wasn't the only one that felt that. Like everyone out there was was having you know a twilight zone moment as well um, mm-hmm. because we just talked about that. And the other thing, I love how you use the term dungeoners to describe people in the dungeon. That's like a, a new layer of fandom. You know, like. I don't. I don't even like want to even know what a what a dungeoner like. What what is what like what we'll get into that maybe later in a podcast. But I just love that you use that term. It's it's amazing. Of course, I, you know it just kind of felt like weird whenever you like introduce yourself and they're like, "Are you on Twitter or the boards or both?" I'm like, <laughs> both. What are you talking? What, what, who do you think I am, man? But um, but no, yeah, you know, like it was just it, it, our contingent was huge. Like, as much as people just like to say, like, uh, I know UCF Probs on his podcast talked about how maybe we had a thousand. I think we only had a thousand that made it to the game and maybe like 2000 people that were left in Atlanta. You know what I mean? Like everybody just had a blast downtown from what I saw. So, yeah, 
a ton of dungeoners. That's freaking awesome. So sticking with the game, you know, with the pandemic going on, we obviously have so many different aspects to life now with COVID-19 and, and things are getting a little better and we're starting to adjust and starting to kind of go back to normalcy. But what was it like to be at a game day experience with people wearing masks from what it looked like, you know, sitting four to five rows apart from each other? The stadium looked like there couldn't have been more than a couple thousand people, even though we know it was a lot more than that. But, you know, what was your experience going to a game like that? Well, I mean, remember this, though. Like, I'm coming from New York City where uh, it was my birthday on March 3rd. And on March 17th, we all received that one text. Everybody's at the bar. They received that one text that we got our first case in New York City. So it was kind of weird. And, like, you felt like you're an I Am Legend or, like, the walking dead like the moment where the story just like takes on and so like for the first like three or four months i was like cooped up in an apartment with my girlfriend while we both worked it was very difficult to just like go through the motions of like man this is new like this is our new life but going back to the game like man this was my first time getting on a plane going to a game seeing other people everybody was super great about their masks especially at the airport everybody cleaning everything uh, once I got into the the giant house, I was worried that people weren't going to be really good about that because obviously everybody's in their 30s or early 20s. So it was nice to see people like actually going to the game and like following the rules. I mean, you obviously had your stragglers that didn't at the game itself. I know that Todd Stansberry, our former athletic director, now current athletic director at Georgia Tech, was super mad at a lot of people. But like from what I saw, I was surrounded by UCF. Uh, football families and you know gt like uh, fans and parents of the game and you know it was super good i mean just being able to go outside for me was especially nice man i mean it it, it just was freaking six months of just staring at white walls you know so for me it was like heaven even if it was georgia tech it kind of felt like the peach bowl it's so weird to say that but it was like going to the peach bowl it was like wow the first game out so let's talk about a tweet that popped up, or not a tweet, but it was, it was actually a, a cut from, I believe, College Football Final, or one of those college shows on, I believe it was on Fox, where it was made mention of the AAC being, at this point, a better conference than the Big 12. I mean, we know the rankings from last year. The Pac-12 stunk. The ACC, from top to bottom, stinks. I'm at top. I mean, you obviously have Clemson. And you can make arguments that, you know, Virginia is a pretty solid squad on the up and up. North Carolina obviously took a step last year into being decent. We'll see what they actually are this year. FSU is trash. Louisville, eh. Miami, mm-hmm. eh. Well, what are your thoughts, both of you, on this statement of, AA, of the AAC being a top three or four P5 conference, let alone not even being considered P5? Steve, you want to take it? Yeah, I'll take it. Well, I will. I will take it first. But I will say I'm I'm juiced on Salonia getting in on this because he is my resident Power Five expansion Illuminati um, insider as well. I mean, he's a man of many trades, so I'm excited to hear his Big Twelve take. But I'll I'll try and set the bar. Um, listen, we got we got Oklahoma in the Big Twelve. Obviously, they're they're the stalwarts of the conference. And they have been for a long time, and. I mean, I think everyone and their mother knows there's a huge drop-off between the Sooners and everyone else. Uh, we got mm-hmm. Oklahoma 3-3 three and three in both polls. Then we have Texas, who we know is going to drop at some point, as they always do, but they're currently 8-9. and nine. 
in the AP and coaches, respectively. Then we have Okie State, 15 and 18 coaches, or AP and coaches, respectively. Now, that is, to me, that is where the argument starts. Because we watched the Cowboys team struggle with Tulsa, which Chris, and this is great to have Chris here, because he hates Tulsa, as a lot of American fans do, um, struggled with Tulsa. So in Tulsa, I mean, and we, we're going to list off the American studs here. Tulsa's not even close to being one of the better teams in the American. And if you're struggling with Tulsa at home, I think that is that is where eyes start to, start to turn, you know, or heads start to turn. I mean, um, you know, yeah, we have Baylor, we have Texas Tech, TC receiving votes, but half of those teams haven't even played a, a down of football yet. So to me, it's it's between those three ranked teams, and then we go to the American. And we have our Knights, which are again, yet again, um, disrespected at 13 and 15. But that's that's good for us. We play better with a chip on our shoulder. We have Cincy at 14 and 16. We have Memphis at 17 and 20. So we have three ranked teams apiece. SMU is probably better than any team in the Big 12 under Okie State. Um, Absolutely. Feel, feel feel pretty comfortable making that assessment. After watching that offense click on all all on cylinder all on cylinders last weekend, um, I mean, here's the thing: I, we could argue all day about this, but the fact is that the more that this is a talking point in the landscape of college football, is a win for the American. Like, like again, we know Oklahoma's the best team out of everything that was just listed there, but the the more that we have analysts arguing about it, is oh, that's a win alone for us. Um, and so, as we know, college football is all about perception. Um, and, and, yeah, just being in that conversation, Buzos, like you said, um, having segments where guys are cackling and arguing about it, just give me more of that all day, all day. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and just to add my thoughts, I mean, like you were alluding to, like the Big 12 is very much an experiment because – it's awkward in that, like, you have West Virginia in an island. They don't even know if they really represent the conference. They're really waiting until maybe Notre Dame accepts a full ride and then West Virginia kind of, like, jumps ship in 24-25. But, like, when you see the Big 12, like, you could see that the conference itself is aching for the middle teams to do something. And I think that's what they're hoping for that, like, Iowa State would do. Like, hey, come on, like, we already have – the top of the conference we need to develop the middle of the conference but it's so finicky like when iowa state lost last week with brock purdy who again was a hypo guy like at the last moment hypo really wanted that kid to come before uh dylan gabriel like it's just important for your conference to have that and it's crazy hearing the media people speaking on how like from top to bottom the american is like way ahead of where they should be honestly and i even think that too like i thought it would just be like cincinnati ucf memphis and then the cows maybe like once every 12 years but you know what i mean like you'd have a conference that is worth talking about where like people like the teams are battling it out and like in the big 12 you don't see that and it's like kansas is always like struggling kansas state is always struggling iowa state is always just like the little brother that has had maybe one winning season in the last 300 years of football, um, you know, since the revolution, basically. But, you know, like, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's very impressive to see where the American has come. Obviously, the money's not there. And ESPN, honestly, is making a killing out of it. You can see it from, boot, you know, boosting UCF to two back-to-back ABC games. I know it was because of 
you know, COVID reasons and Notre Dame and things like that. But like, that is still a huge accomplishment. You could have moved up ACC games for that. I mean, it's just a testament to how strong that conference is, especially with Dylan Gabriel, you know, manning the helm at UCF. So, yeah, I could definitely say that the American is better than the Big 12, for sure. And the, the bottom of the Big 12 is is bad. I mean, I think, I mean, if we want to talk about the bottom, I mean, and especially now that UConn's out of our conference, I mean, because at least, and maybe then you had an argument, but I mean, Kansas and Kansas State this year are, are awful. Iowa State, awful this year. I mean, the, the bottom of that conference is so bad. So when you're when you when you are arguing top to bottom, that is something to keep in mind. Yeah, no, I mean like Patrick Mahomes, one of the great quarterbacks, well obviously in the NFL and a pretty solid one in the Big Twelve, couldn't win more than seven games in the Big Twelve at Texas Tech. Like man, like how it just feels like there's like you're playing in a video game with limited rules. And it's just it, no matter what, like you're at an Oklahoma State you're under Mike Gundy. You're always going to go eight and five, but you're guaranteed to upset either Texas or Oklahoma or whoever is like in the cusp at the cusp of like winning the conference. It's like, check it out. Like I'm pretty sure it's every year they knock them out. They're like the Georgia tech or North Carolina state of the ACC. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. So, and like you, like you look at like those bottom schools, like, you know, Kansas, Baylor, Texas Tech, like those are glorified CUSA schools if they lost the P5 paycheck. Like Baylor would be in the in Conference USA with an annual rivalry game against Rice every year. They're that caliber program. And at Buzos, I, Buzos, I know you agree with me. I know that your takes are right, right on, on line with that. Oh, I mean, absolutely. Unfortunately, I mean, everyone knows the Big 12 doesn't play defense. And now the fact that you have <laughs> what, what, maybe eight of the teams that can't even play offense either, it's kind of like. What are we doing here? How it's is like, it? Yeah, FCS. It really is. And it's unfortunate because it's a conference that I've been rooting for for years for us. I mean, we were waving the Big 12 flag at games since 2013, hoping that they would take notice to us to get us into a P5 conference. And now it's at the point after last season that I'm like, we really don't need the Big 12. I'm okay just riding the AAC out for a little bit longer because I think the landscape of college football is starting to show the change that teams are starting to catch up. Period. Across the nation, whether you're in the Sun Belt, the Conference USA, Mountain West, the teams are getting better and better, and they're starting to catch up with the lower tier Power Five, and they're going to start intermixing pretty heavily, and it's going to be it's going to make it very difficult to really distinguish those teams moving forward. And I think it's going to take a lot of credibility away from the Power Five and give teams like UCF, Cincinnati, Memphis, Boise State a, a larger shot in the future when they see how close uh, how, how, how close the gap has become when it comes to college football. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, just from my experience of interacting with the uh, the alumni that look like George O'Leary at the Georgia Tech game, they were so nice. They, like, I had a couple, like, come up to me and say, like, wow, you guys have, like, an exciting team. Like, it's so much fun. Like, we're excited to see this. And then they were like, you guys, I, I wish UCF was there instead of Boston College and like wake forest and i'm like oh if only if only it were possible you know what i mean like it's just it really varies on the team like we were talking about but i i still think it's like the mold is kind of being made right now i mean kirk Herbstreit street and like david pollack and uh, kevin nagandi like went on their own podcast three days ago talking about 
you know, UCF's offense, Cincinnati and Luke Fickle, like the two programs that are brewing there. And I completely agree that like, look, we have Dylan Gabriel for at least this year, maybe next year. I think, yeah, next year at least, right? Um, I still don't understand like the the whole like how the years are going to work for him. But if he stays for two more years, my goodness, like I, I think we're going to go like undefeated. It, it sounds weird saying that on a podcast, but like it's just he has he has the control of the team whenever he's on the field. It, it felt like the game was never out of like reach, even though we had that like three minute period. But then all of a sudden he's like you know what, I'm going to calm it down. I'm going to score like 47 points in three minutes like he did or something ridiculous. But yeah, that's that's my take. Like, I, I just think that the American is going to be a better conference this year. That's why they're like, you know, I think what's, what's happening is the media is really worried about the whole bowl situation. So they're just saying, hey, look, let every team be able to like go to a bowl so that the conferences don't look bad, if that makes sense. You know, so... Chris, we love you, man. We, um, you know, I, we've often said this for a long time. You have the best conference expansion takes. Sometimes I think you actually were running the tuxedo Yoda account of your, of lore. Um, uh, so, um, but yeah, I mean, can we call, can we bring you on? Can you come on next week? We want to update on your quarantine stories. Like, you know, I don't know if you're like writing, like journaling it or, or writing letters, but we would love that content. I would, I, would, sure. I would also really like a photo of you to post on Twitter. I want a mullet photo, if you can send that to us. Oh, God, no. It, you, well, it's not just a mullet photo. It's a widow's peak. It's, John, it's, <laughs> it's the Nicolas Cage widow's peak mullet. Like, at least give us something to Photoshop that on, you know? Please. Please. I'll, I'll try. I'll try. I'll, I'll ask my girlfriend to take a really good picture of me with the sun beating on my beautiful face. Beautiful. But we'll, we'll have to see. All right. Well, thank well, you for joining us, man. Thank you, brother. Maybe yeah, no problem, it. guys. All right. I'll, see you guys I'm later, look, right? I'm looking forward to getting a beer somewhere uh, in Queens with you whenever you get out in a week. So hang in there, man. Oh, for sure. But for now, go Dolphins. Goodbye. Oh, piss off. Wow. That's, <laughs> that's how he's really going to end that phone call. Wow. That's a walk-off. Wow. That was. I'm a little angry. He dropped the mic. So, anyway, uh, moving forward, um, talking about props that, that people have been giving us, because you made mention of Kirk Herbstreet. You know, Kirk has really turned the corner on UCF opinions in the last two years to the point where I think he's become a huge UCF apologist. But did you see that five days ago, one of our bigger haters, Joe Klatt, gave major props to UCF uh, on his show talking about just how we've, you know, we've arrived, but we've also been there and everything he had to say about us. Did you actually see that small segment? I, I did. Here, here's the thing about, about Clat and his, his producer group and, and, and everything. And listen, I've worked in sports television long enough to know that like people know like what's going to get eyeballs. And a lot of Clat's content is on Twitter and on social media. Like they enjoy the back and forth with UCF fans. Like, it's not like these guys are like, oh no, I gotta get on, I gotta get on Twitter and get like a hundred retweets and, and and like a thousand likes for arguing. Like that's what they live for. So I think Joe Klatt just has his finger on the pulse of college football. He knows when to talk smack. He knows when to give us props. And I mean, as I mean, he he did give us props in in two years ago. You know, like it's not new for him to give us praise. Um, so again, like I think he's definitely on board in a way. He just knows when to when to when to poke and when to praise. And 
that's a lot of people, you know, and um, it's a really good sign for our program when analysts are looking for you for for clout, you know, and it, whether it's good or bad. I think UCF fans need to understand that, like even even with even when clout's talking crap about us, it, like just live in the moment, give it back to him, enjoy it. Like just being a part of the conversation is so much a part of the battle in college football and the fact that we're even there, it's just, it's, it's amazing. I, I mean, I love it. I do too. It, it brings me joy when I can go through my Twitter feed and see stuff like that, knowing that we really have made it to a different level at this point when it comes to just the, the you know, the aura of UCF and college football. And here we got, speaking of more talk on Twitter, you know, Dylan Gabriel has his post-game conference uh, his post-game press conference talking about UCF and makes the comment that he truly believes that UCF is the best college football team in Florida which I totally agree with but then we got Andrea Adelson who comes out and says yeah he said this but is this true goes to the ESPN stat team and they legitimately predict if you were to bet on a game and, and create betting lines that UCF would be favored over all three of the quote-unquote big three Florida teams 1.3 over UF which I think it's fair. I, I I think that would be a very, very close game. 12.8 over University of Miami and 14.2 over FSU, which I think right now should be more like 28. But, you know, digressing, you know, what are your thoughts on, on that? And just the fact that, you know, statistically, we are, if you want to look at that way, the best team in Florida. I, the, the really interesting thing about that is, you know, Andrea threw that tweet up. Um, I think, you know, just out of, just out of curiosity, um, and, and I don't know what she was expecting, but she's an Orlando based writer. Um, her, her husband, Eric is also in Orlando. They're big Orlando people. And so they're, they both are in town and they know very well, like what UCF is about because they live it. Like people that have never been to Orlando or maybe haven't experienced like the campus energy and, and how much the city is, is about it. Like they don't get it. They all think UCF is this community college. Andrea gets it, and so that's enough for her to ask the question because a lot of people aren't wouldn't even dare ask that question this year. But as we've said before, if if you actually know what UCF's about, you know that UCF's better than FSU. Like you don't even have to consult the ESPN stat info board. You know that UCF could hang with Miami because you know what Derek King was at Houston for a while and he couldn't hang with UCF. And so you know when I mean it's not it's not an out of this world question to ask. Do I do I, How do I think the game with Florida would play out? Um, I mean, who knows? I mean, Florida is good. They're they're a good football team. But I'll tell you one thing: I have no issue. Not only do I not have an issue with DG saying we're the best team in Florida, better than UF, but I praise it because you think about KZ after the Peach Bowl. You know what is giving us the publicity and what is giving us the, the media spotlight, other than those giant comments. Like, you know, KZ's sitting there talk, talking to Gabriel, is saying listen, man, like you have to piss people off. Like you have to rub, rub people the wrong way. And those are the kind of comments when you back them up. I mean, you have to back them up, which we did this past weekend by all means, boys, like go ahead, put them on the spot, let them know, you know, who, who the best team is, whether, whether, whatever the facts are, just be on the minds of everyone thinking about it. And so I love everything about the comments. I support the comments. I love Andrea's work as well and just putting that tweet up. I mean, it's all such good publicity for the school. 
So we'd like to welcome to Three Night Bender, another UCF great player, played four years as a starting center for the UCF Knights from 2016 until just this past season. We got Jordan Johnson on the air with us. How you doing, Jordan? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, my man. No, thank you for joining us. We're really, really excited to have you on. I mean, I'm a former offensive line coach. I played offensive line, so I kind of look at that position group a little more heavily than others. So it's pretty awesome to, uh, you know, just have a player that, started for four years for this team and was so integral to this offense for so long on the on our show definitely and it was a whole lot of fun playing for ucf for the past four years best four years of my life so far so just to kind of jump into the interview um you know, we got a, a little bit of, I wouldn't say a transition year, but, you know, we've, we've lost some key players in the offensive line the last two years with, you know, a stalwart up tackle with Wyatt Miller. We lose you this offseason. You know, when you kind of think about the offensive line and some of the players that we got coming back, like Cole Schneider, Parker Bordeaux, we have, you know, possibly the future center and Matt Lee coming up behind you. You know, what can you tell us from your personal experience about this position group going into 2020? Um, and, you know, are there any players that might be a little underrated that we should look out for? You know, wh- what's your insight as a, as a former lineman for the Knights of, you know, who to kind of watch on that line? Um, first and foremost, Cole Schneider is a freakish athlete. He is a great <laughs> So he's he's gonna be great. Like I have very high expectations for him. Um, Sam Jackson is very technical. He knows every step to take, every hand placement. He knows where to be and when to be there. So high expectations for him. Parker Boudreaux is really aggressive. So I'm expecting a lot of people to be put on the ground because of Parker. And uh, Matt Lee is also super aggressive, and I'm sure he's gained some weight over this off season because that was probably the biggest thing that was holding him back. Just he was a little bit smaller than your average offensive lineman, but I'm sure he's gained a lot of lean muscle mass, but he has the aggression. Like a lot of times in practice last year, I'm like, bro, Matt Lee, slow down. You're going too fast, man. Slow down a little bit. So I'm expecting to see high things out of Matthew Lee. He's going to be the next best thing out of coming out of the UCF O-line. Awesome, man. And what do you think about the transfer that's coming in, Marcus Tatum? Do you know anything about him? You know, he played at Tennessee. He's a grad transfer. Do you think he's a player that can make a big impact for us? I certainly hope so. I wouldn't know much about him. I never met him, and I've never actually seen him play either. Okay. But I am hoping for big things out of him. We've actually spoken on the show, the show previously, joked around. We're trying to figure out what the – the pro wrestling tag team name would be for Cole and Parker's tag team duo because they're so big. They look like pro wrestlers. So if you have any ideas of what their WWE championship run would look like, we've been asking viewers to kind of pitch in. So, so get in touch with us if you think of anything, because that is, those are terrifying guys. I'm sure just to line up opposite side with, I mean, they're just so imposing. Very much though. Um, the first thing that came to mind is this, TV show that they always talk about called the Trailer Park Boys. So I think that they would probably be the same. <laughs> if they, they tag team, they would be the Trailer Park Boys for sure. That's <laughs> hilarious. I think that sounds absolutely perfect. We might we might need to make that the official name. That would be amazing. Let's start a UCF <laughs> yeah, Twitter Mafia movement. Yeah, just advocate <laughs> hardcore for that. Um, Jordan, sure. the one thing that that's so super interesting is you know you played at a high level at UCF and you were such a staple on that line. And this was all meanwhile as, you know, with, with, you know, as a vegan, you know, which a lot of people I think are surprised to hear that, that you could maintain the strength and size that you had with your diet, but 
you know, I think it's super interesting. And, you know, I, I know you've kind of spoken a lot about this, but would love to hear your experience about playing O-line at a high level while also, um, you know, restricting yourself in that way and dieting that way and, and making it work. Um, I think that it was a big transition for me. And not only that, but I had a good support system around me um, from my coaching staff to our head nutritionist on our staff. Her name was Miss Carly. She always looked out for me, made sure I had meals, and made sure I was eating the right things. Because like, the main reason that I went vegan was for a um, competitive edge against my opponent. And, like, just because you eat vegan doesn't mean you eat healthy. And a lot of people think like, oh, I'm gonna lose, I'm gonna go vegan so I can lose a bunch of weight. Like, just because you eat vegan doesn't mean you're gonna lose weight. So, I went vegan for a competitive edge, and she made sure I was there getting everything I needed from my macronutrients and things of that nature. So it was a it was a big change for me, and I feel like it was just successful because I had good people around. Yeah, I mean, I would say it was super successful because I mean you. You, you were you were just so constantly imposing on that line, and I think fans just came to to know and, and love your gameplay. And, and a lot of people forget that you were vegan, you know. And I think that's a mark that you were doing it very well at a high level. Um, but to follow up, you know, Orlando has tons of really good vegan restaurants, you know, that I've I've been to. And so the one thing when Buzos and I were talking, I was like, we got to get Jordan's power rankings of his favorite vegan restaurants in Orlando because you know. There's a Sanctum, there's Dixie Dharma, there was Dandelion and Ethos. So, I mean, what are some of your favorites or what are some of your favorite meals in town? Um, you've mentioned a couple of them. Um, Ethos is probably my favorite in Orlando. Just their lasagna was to die for. And it's then good. Um, I, I actually went there on my birthday and I had a vegan strawberry milkshake. And I didn't, I thought that I would give up milkshakes for the rest of my life, but I didn't have to thanks to Ethos. Oh, wow. And, uh, yep, Ethos is awesome. There's a restaurant out in Eatonville called Dajun Eats. And it's like um, it's like Jamaican vegan food. It's really good. And then nice. there's a restaurant called Leguminati. And then Lazy Moon, they have vegan cheese on their pizza. You can ask that for a topping. So that's cool. They have like the giant size pizza slices. And then um, Dandelion, you mentioned, they have a really good vegan cheese that you don't really find tasty vegan cheese. Like, vegan cheese comes, but you, a lot of times it doesn't taste similar to actual cheese. It's hard to replicate it, but they do a really good job over there. I, some sad news to share with you. My, my sister lives in Orlando, and she's, she loves Dandelion. It recently closed down. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a bummer. It's it's done, which is it's really sad. They had really good like uh, like burrito, like wraps and stuff. I remember. So no, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Yeah, that that, that hurt. <laughs> <laughs> so um, just kind of touching back a little bit, you know, with your past at UCF, you were there obviously since uh, Frost came in. You started almost right away. Um, was a stalwart in the offensive line, and you know we we talk a lot about people that come on that happen to just be through this period. But it, it was such a high for UCF, and it's always nice, you know, not just as a fan, but I imagine as a player to relive, relive it. But being that you started with a six and six team as a freshman, that twenty seventeen twenty seventeen team, you go into that game, you go into that season. You're a sophomore. We have that magical run where that team goes undefeated, gets a claim of the national title. You know, can you tell us a little bit about that experience? And you know, you obviously come from Jacksonville. 
you look at UCF, never really on the radar of any program except for 2013 when, you know, Blake Bortles leads that team to a Fiesta Bowl and puts us really on the map nationally. Uh, but, you know, what was that like for you to kind of go through that experience with this team and really make UCF a household name? It was great to be a part of something so magical, like you said. And um, it was great because the coaching staff made a lot of promises and they seemed to come through with a lot of the things that they said they would. And, like, anywhere from coming to, like, saying that I would be able to start right away or things of that nature or even being able to, like, win a lot of games, even coming out of a 0-12 season, I still decided to go to UCF. And my freshman year, we were 6-6, six and six, like you said, but we lost a lot of close games. You go look back at the sport, we lost one in double overtime. We lost one by one point. We lost one on the last play of the game. Like, constantly we were losing close games. So, my sophomore year, we just found a way to win those close games, and that was really the biggest difference between 6-6 six and six and 13 and over. Agreed. I mean, it was – Awesome to watch. And I'll kind of touch a little bit just as we're living experiences and it just popped in my head as a, as a former football coach, you know, one of my favorite things when I coached both offense and defensive line is you get those periods where you get to work with the defensive line and offensive line, you know, one-on-one pass rushing drills. Do you have any really good stories from practice um, in any of your four years at UCF? Cause I mean, we, you, we obviously had some great defensive line talent that came through the program while you were there while also having some great offensive line players, you know, do you have, what, what's a great experience or story that you can tell from, just something that you witnessed or that you were a part of, you know, just on an everyday basis with uh, with some of those players? Just iron sharpening iron. We had a lot of good talent on the defensive line, and they made me better as I progressed throughout UCF. And um, anywhere from Tristan Hill, his bull rush was almost impossible to stop. But <laughs> you sat yourself down, and you could, you could try your best. <laughs> but um, when it came to Jemiah Pittman, he was very, like, technical about his moves. So, like, when I'm going to convince, up against Tristan, I'm like, all right, let me just get my weight back, sit down, and I, I can maybe I can stop him. But when I'm with Jemiah Pittman, I'm like, all right, I need to be on my stuff. Like, I need to have my body lean right. I need to have my hands in the right spot because if, if I'm out of balance at all, he's going to find a way to get me off him. So it was just a lot of fun and a challenge to go against really the premier D-lineman in our conference each week which made it like make the game a lot that much easier because i'm going against the best talent i'm going to see in practice every day that's awesome and i'm sure you know like another thing and i want to ask this too to follow up i mean there's so much explosive offensive talent on that team that you played with and and we were we were talking uh previously about you know the backfield and how you know they're every everyone in that backfield is like a swiss army knife and it's just just tons of fun to watch. I mean, was there any any of the backs that you remember playing with that, you know, were just you were just mesmerized by or just guys that really blew you away and you know that, you know, particularly from your perspective like on the field and and, and blocking for them. Oh, for sure. And not just the backs, the quarterback as well, McKenzie and Dylan. <laughs> Absolutely. And, like we were out there just like you said mesmerized watching them because we make a, a small crease, a tiny little crevice for them to creep through, and they're gone off to the races. All, like, A.K., Otis, um, Ventavious, Greg McCrane, all of these guys, like, if you give them just a sliver to work with, they're gone. And then even on pass plays, like, 
if we give McKenzie five, three to five seconds back there, he's going to find somebody open and we're going to score. Like we, it wasn't even like about if, it was about when, because we knew it was going to happen because he was just that skilled. Speaking of McKenzie, just because it just popped in my head, and I want—I just wanted to ask about it. I remember watching, uh, looking at photos that you were posting on Instagram a couple of years ago, where you got to go to Hawaii with them. Um, if you don't mind touching on that, what was that like? I—I I I was blessed to go to Hawaii earlier this February, um, and it was a beautiful state. It was an amazing experience, kind of a culture shock because it just felt so different from the mainland. So, what was your trip like with McKenzie when you went out there with them? Yeah, it's very different from the mainland, and. I think the biggest difference is that everybody is your family there. Like when you people that you know you grew up with, they're all your cousins. People that are older than you, they're all your aunties and uncles. And people that are like younger than you, they're your nieces and nephews. Like it's such a family vibe around Hawaii. Everybody loves each other. Um, Mackenzie took me back with him for his brother's wedding, so I got the opportunity to go to his brother's wedding as Mackenzie's plus one. The, um, what is it called? The reception was a party. It was a whole lot of fun. Um, he lives about five minutes walking to the beach. So where I'm coming from Jacksonville, where it's the biggest city in the United States land-wise. So I'm an hour away from the beach driving and he's five minutes walking to the beach. So that was a, a big difference. So it was a lot of fun. We went hiking. Like, I had never been, matter of fact, I've never seen a mountain before coming from Jacksonville, Florida. And then I got to hike one, so that was a lot of fun. And then I actually went back to Hawaii because I played in the Hula Bowl. So it was like me revisiting my second home because of McKenzie. And I linked up with his family members that I met the first time I was there, and I ended up going hiking again for the second time. That's awesome. I'm assuming, I mean, you, you, you guys, you still keep in touch with all those boys, right? Pretty regularly, I imagine. The guys that I met at the Hula Bowl? No, no, no. Uh, just on uh, on UCF, you know, you know, uh, oh, DG sure. and KZ and all those boys. I mean, how, you know, how are things with them? I mean, I'm sure you, I'm sure you miss being a part of the team, but I mean, you guys are such a family. I'm sure it's almost, you know, like you're still, still chatting with them. And, you know, what's, what's the energy like now? And like, what are you, how do you think this season's going to go? Yeah, we definitely still keep in touch. We still have all of our group chats that we were in. We were still playing there together. Um, so we still talk via that way. Great this year. They, they still have, we were a young team last year. They still have a lot of young talent. Um, they're going to go out and do big things. And I'm actually training now. I'm a strength and conditioning coach. I own my own strength and conditioning company. So... Whenever those guys want to come train in the off season, or if they have a free weekend or a free day, they feel free to come over here to Daytona Beach and train with me. That was that's a- perfect because that's a good that's a good segue into you know we want to just kind of catch up on your end too and see what's new in your world and um, you know what we're doing you know career wise and just you know because you were such a such a staple for UCF and I'm sure you know a lot of people. Just want to hear what's new in the life of JJ. So just catch us up, and how are things going on your end post post UCF football? All is well. I um I was training for the NFL and didn't get picked up, unfortunately. But if all things happen for a reason and everything works out, um I was training down here in Daytona Beach with Tom Shaw Performance. Tom Shaw has trained the best of the best, anywhere from Tom Brady to Saquon Barkley to Chris Johnson. 
Janoris Jenkins, the guy who just picked off Tom Brady like this past weekend. So all of those guys, and I got the opportunity to train with them while I was training for the NFL. And it was a great experience, and I met a lot of great people while I was down here in Daytona Beach. And once I didn't get drafted, Kelsey Martinez, she works immediately under Tom Shaw. She basically runs the program, and she called me and was like, hey, you want to come join our staff? And I'm like, when do you need me? She was like, JJ, I needed you yesterday. And I was like, okay, bet. I will be there tomorrow. <laughs> and I packed my things up. That was a Wednesday. I packed my things up, and I had moved down to Daytona Beach by that Saturday. Wow. That's awesome. Nice. Yeah. We're, yeah. yeah. Stephen and I actually kind of grew up in the Daytona Beach area. We're from Palm Coast, which is not far uh, north of Daytona. So, you know, just hearing that you're that you're there and you're part of a business there is actually kind of cool just because I remember so many times going into Daytona Beach. And it, it was like the only place you can go because back in the day, Palm Coast didn't have anything else. Definitely. So um, I work under their staff now with Tom Shaw Performance. And I started my own business so that they can pay me as a business instead of an individual so that way i can write off my taxes and i can possibly start my own facility one day where i'm training my own guys and training for the combine as well possibly going somewhere down in the future that's awesome man and like you know it's 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 a bummer to hear about the nfl but like you said everything happens for a reason and you know i think a lot of ucf fans you know, not only were, you know, gravitated to you in a fandom as, but, you know, for, for your play, but also your, your personality. And, you know, that's something that'll stick with you forever. So, you know, whatever, whatever you do, you're going to be super successful. And that's, it's awesome to hear you're still sticking in athletics in a way and, and hope, yeah, looking forward to hearing more man, and, and following your journey. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Going into week four of college football, um, we're going to talk a little bit about the ACC matchups, or AAC matchups, not ACC. Screw them. Um, but the AAC matchups, we got... <laughs> yeah, for, yeah, yeah. Screw them. Screw them. We don't need to talk about them. So we got three matchups because, unfortunately, three were postponed. Tulsa, USF, Houston, all postponed due to COVID-related illness stuff. Oh, God. Yeah. Good job, USF, giving COVID to Notre Dame and everything. Um, so it's kind of hit it. We obviously got the first game of the week, uh, UCF versus ECU, 12 o'clock on ABC, you know, I personally have UCF as at least a three-score, you know, winner. So we'll see how that actually plays out. I know we're favored at like 27 and a half or something ludicrous. What do you think about that game? Um, first of all, I, I did notice that USF postponed activities this week. But if you watch the Notre Dame game, it did look like they postponed football-related activities a little early. Um, yeah, they weren't they weren't there. That was a that was a joke. Waka waka. <laughs> <laughs> waka waka. Um, um, but um, yeah, screw USF. Um, no, I mean, EC, listen, I think we bulldoze ECU. I, I said this last week. I think this is the first fifty burger of the year. I mean, we almost we came damn close to touching that last weekend. I think there's no chance we do not cross fifty this upcoming weekend. You know, I, I think the one concern we might have is you know ECU's offense really isn't as bad as what you would think for a team that has done this poorly. I mean, I mean, Holden Ehlers is, is a, is a strong quarterback. I mean, I'm pretty sure he was, um, you know, preseason all American honors. Um, they do have a really, really stud wide receiver in CJ Johnson. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see you put up some points, 
But, I mean, if we're talking about getting into a shootout here, are you really going to bet against this UCF offense that we've spent all, you know, the past hour waxing poetic about? Like, I don't think so. Absolutely um, not. So I think, I think no, no. So I think UCF scores big. I don't think it's close. You know, I, um, it, it's going to be a, a total, total bludgeoning, at least I hope. I give this game kind of like a 56-28, 56-21 kind of score. That's what I can see doing. Where, where, where ECU maybe pulls out two touchdowns and kind of garbage time towards the end of the fourth quarter. Um, we got... Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think I think we get up early and, and cruise, and you know, like we've we've already had some some injuries. You know, like Trey's out. You know, we have you know you know Greg uh, had had a really scary scary moment last week. I think at this point, especially with with COVID concerns, let's just get up big and let's let's take guys out. And let's cruise. So totally fine with that. Agreed. A, a pretty big matchup in the in the AAC this week with ranked Army versus ranked Cincinnati. Um, Army is no slouch, obviously. They are not the Army of old. They've been a ranked team for the last few years. They've played a lot of opponents really tough. It is a triple option, but they're playing it differently. They're, they're really strong up front. They've got athletes, and I think this can actually be a pretty solid game. Um, I still give the edge to Cincy because they're at home, so I, I'll, I'll give them 7 to 10. But I still think it's actually going to be a pretty solid game. I can see this being something kind of like a 28-17 or even like a 28-21 kind of game. I, I do think it's going to be close. I mean, the, the one area of Cincinnati's defense that we've heard so much about is their secondary, which is is really not going to play a factor in a game against a team like Army that doesn't throw the ball really, you know? So, um, you know, I think it, matchup-wise, it, it presents a pretty strong challenge to Cincinnati. However... You know, I hate being one of these people because I hate SECers. I hate people that cheer for their conference. But if Cincy could pull off a ranked win against Army here, that just makes our, our matchup against them later in the year so much more enticing. Um, so not only do I think Cincinnati is going to squeak, it's not. I think they'll win fairly comfortably, but we, we really do need them to win here. So hopefully the Bearcats pull it out. Bearcats win is nothing but great for UCF, provided that we can do our job, get past Memphis, and, and get to them as two undefeated teams. Um, and the final matchup in the AAC this week is going to be a Stephen F. Austin Lumberjack football, who plays in the FCS game, versus SMU. I mean, SMU, a solid team. Uh, they obviously have a pretty highly touted quarterback. They score some points. I can see them, you know, giving them a pretty good shellacking. Uh, but Stephen F. Austin, you know, yeah, I mean, I guess they they haven't performed very well against recently against uh you know Division One A or the FBS opponent, so I don't think they're going to provide any kind of challenge for SMU. Yeah, I mean, definitely not. I don't think it's going to be close. It, I mean, SMU looked like they were firing on all cylinders last um, last weekend, putting up sixty five points. Um, you know, I mean, how did I mean SMU got truly lucky? I mean, I think they would have beaten TCU anyway, but you know, to have Texas State, North Texas, and, and and Stephen F. in the first three games of the season. I mean, you're just on cruise control. Um, you know, I, I mean, I don't I don't think they're going to get upset here. But clearly, the Memphis game the following week is what's on the radar for the Mustangs, and really what's on the radar for all American fans because that's going to be a huge matchup. Huge matchup. Oh, great. So some other Orlando musings before we kind of get off 
uh, the podcast here. We've got Blake Bortles, former UCF, obviously, put us up on the map in 2013. He signs with Denver after being released by the Rams. He was a free agent for a while. So he's now going to be a teammate again of two interesting figures. One, he is the, the teammate for the third time with A.J. Boye, another former Knight, who was also teammates on Jacksonville's team and now Denver, and also teammate with Jeff Driscoll, two uh, Oviedo schools that were pretty, you know, pretty decent rivals with the um, Haggerty Huskies uh, having Jeff Driscoll at quarterback for four years, Oviedo having Blake Bortles at quarterback. They played each other in high school and now they're high school teammates. I'm uh, not high school, but I'm sorry. Now they're professional football teammates. That's pretty wild. I mean, you know, to think that the townhouse diner in Oviedo most likely hosted two NFL quarterbacks from Denver. That's wild times. What a, what a world we live in. What uh, a putting, world. Oviedo, putting Oviedo, Florida on the map. But um, I think the thing I'm most proud out proud about, other than, you know, AJ, one of my favorite nights of all time, and obviously Blake playing together again, is that the pictures are out now of, of Blake suiting up in, in Denver, and he went for the full head shave. He just owned it, finally. I'm Good very proud of I'm very proud someone of him. As someone that's an old man and getting, you know, a little thin on top, I'm very pl- proud of uh, Balake for just owning it. You know, he's a handsome man. He doesn't have anything to be sh- ashamed about. I mean, just just own it. Just own the bald, man. That's all I'm saying. He's handsome enough you that he, he's one of my wife's, like, mulligan people, so I'm not surprised at all. Um, maybe he, he is a handsome maybe man. you should consider buzzing it. Maybe you should consider buzzing it. Hey, Blake, if you, you join our— if you Me? No, no, no. You have a good beard. I do have an okay beard. You have a better beard. When you grow yours out, you look full. Oh, man. Rrr. I can't. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> I can't do it. Um, I don't know. Yeah, my, my uh, yeah, Christy is uh, my girlfriend. She's she's pining for me to grow it out, but I, I don't think she's ready for that yet. It's going to be, it's no. it's serious. I don't think she understands how serious it is. No, not own, yet. Have it, it has its own gravity. It does. It gravitates me to New York. So when that thing's growing in November, <laughs> I'll suddenly be in the city. Um, speaking of city, Orlando city, we'll touch on them for a quick second. Seven game unbeaten streak. That's a col- that's, that's a soccer term now. Unbeaten streak because you know draws and whatnot. Um, they've gone ties. Se- that's not American. Seven four and two. They're number two in the Eastern Conference. I really can't give anything else other than that because, to be quite frank, I, I mean I've just been busy with work, so I haven't been following. But I mean I'm pr- they're, they're Orlando. They're city. I'm proud of them. That's awesome, especially considering what they've been the last couple of years. For them to turn around and be in the top two of the MLS in 2020, wild things are happening in 2020. Yeah, I mean, so Orlando City, I think this is something that Orlando fans have been craving for, you know, because we were spoiled for years when they before they were in the MLS, how fun and elite that team was. And then they get into the big leagues and they – are like for the most part pretty ho-hum for most of their life and then finally they pick the one year that no one can go really go to games or enjoy it to a um make it to the finals of i mean i don't i'll be honest i have no idea what this tournament was the, <laughs> i mean but the, it was it was a tournament <laughs> the mls is back and tournament the mls is was, back it, tournament yeah the tournament meant something to someone somewhere and it we made the final so that's exciting and then the other thing is, uh, you know, Chris Mueller is uh, it looks like he's he's rounding in a form and he's could, you know, U.S. could be a U.S. national team player. He leads the team with seven goals. Nani looks as advertised. Um, they're scoring goals. They're on, you know, like I said, a seven game 
I can't say win streak, un- unbeaten streak. There you go. And that includes that includes wins over a uh, the football football club in Miami, which I know you know that's a, that's a very hyped about and um, you know advertised rivalry. And then also we finally we finally beat Atlanta. Um, you know that's been kind of the bane of the soccer soccer program's existence was you know we get on the scene and then Atlanta follows suit and they're just elite. Um, and Orlando City fans have hated that. So to, to finally get some get a win in the win column against Atlanta, to finally beat Miami, um, you know, it kind of feels like Orlando City is rounding into the program that we knew before, pre-MLS. But, of course, in a very Orlando City fashion, they picked a, pa- a global pandemic year to do it. So take that for what it is, but that's our, that's our Lions, and we love them. We love them very much. Okay, well... I think that's it about it. Oh, I'm, I'm actually about to leave for a restaurant called Bovine in Winter Park. So I'm going to discuss that next week on our Men About Town. It's apparently a new steakhouse that opened up about a month ago. So I'll give my musings about that next week when we have some more sports to talk about. Um, but just kind of closing things out, uh, you know, you can give us a look up on social media. We have a Twitter account at 3 Night Bender on Twitter. We've got at 3 Night Bender on Instagram. You can find our Facebook page. We post all of our links. So we're on Spotify, SoundCloud, uh, iTunes, Google Podcast. OnlyFans. Only we're on OnlyFans. We are on OnlyFans. It's strictly Steven, though. Steven and his um, lovely Speedo uh, photo shoot. It's so. just me. Yeah, it's just me and a Speedo on my roof in, in New York. <laughs> so, so give me your give me your money. So uh, go online. Give us a follow. Give us a like. Take a listen. Uh, Steven, thanks for joining again once, once again. Um, and we'll be back yeah, next week for another episode. Absolutely. Uh, are we, are, my shameless plugs. Do we have, are we still doing shameless plugs? You can give a shameless plug. Give, give a shameless plug. Uh, my shameless plug is congratulations to Todd and Stevi mm. on, on the wedding. Um, two of my most favorite people, two people I love to death. Um, uh, very happy for them. And I uh, can't wait to hear Todd on the show again. And then also a shout out to Christy. I promise uh, whenever the day comes, I will not put marriage above UCF football unless it's in the <laughs> fall. Then that might change things, I think. <laughs> Chris, Christy Fandora, or as she saved on my phone as Christy D'Agostino, is a saint. She is. She's wonderful. I, I way, way cooler and better than me. You should have her on the podcast instead. Actually, yeah. Maybe we'll do some kind of uh, some kind of mental health thing. I mean, she is a psychiatrist, so we can bring her on and talk to her a little bit about something maybe yeah she, yeah she could she could give us a diagnosis on our mental health because i know that we need it <laughs> absolutely well thanks again steve for coming on uh thank you guys again for listening and we'll catch you next week see ya thanks for having me